lump off mom what's wrong with me can you keep your evil doing quiet finn is dealing with some heavy stuff over here unacceptable i'm not cut out for adventuring finn you messed the beat up i just want to sit here and moan then i'll moan with you buddy Welcome to Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast from the Infinite Guest Network. I'm John Moe, here with Open Mike Eagle, rapper and host of the Secret Skin podcast. In just a little bit, we're going to hear from Adventure Time storyboard artist Jesse Moynihan. He had a hand in creating the character Lemon Grab, and he's boarded a ton of episodes, including some very recent total classics like You Forgot Your Floaties and The Comet. When I first came on the show and I was like, this show is psychedelic, I can do whatever I want. And the point of the show is crazy jokes. That's what I thought at first. And so that idea got squashed pretty fast because you go in the room and you pitch it and you pitch these crazy tangents and all that stuff just gets cut. That's storyboard artist Jesse Moynihan. You're going to hear Mike's interview with him coming up in just a little bit. Okay, Mike, we have decided to gather up another of our famous top five lists here. This is our top five C-listers. As listeners might recall, in the All the Little People episode of Adventure Time, Finn has these little miniature versions of a lot of the characters on the show, and he refers to some of them as C-listers. Who's a C-list? Tiffany, Donnie, he's okay. Zergiok, a bunch of these guys. We figure A-listers, that's like Finn, Jake, Bubblegum, Ice King. Mm B-list, maybe you're Marceline, maybe you're uh, Lemon Grab, maybe Flame Princess. Right. Uh, And then C-listers, I think it's people who aren't just one-offs, aren't just appear on the show once and are are gone. Like, I think that, you know, that's that's maybe the D-list. And I have some... (laughs) <laughs> there's some wonderful D-list characters like the Snow Golem, the hooligans who love candles. There's a lot to love. But uh, but we're exploring our favorite, our top five uh, C-listers. So do you want to lead off here? I will. I've written the character's name and a short blurb okay. by each one. And I'm very short. All right. Very short. These are, these, are like, these are like haikus. Okay. Number five is Zergiak. Zergiak. Yeah! Regardless of whether his eyes are in place or not, his nature is to spank hands. <laughs> this is the the Goblin King uh, mm-hmm. who likes to spank the uh, members of his kingdom who have no self-esteem whatsoever. <laughs> no, and they, I think some of them want to be spanked. There's some weird stuff There's going on. There's some really there. troubling stuff going on among the goblins. <laughs> and he's finally cast out and becomes nice, but only because he loses his eyes in his beard, right? Right, exactly. Uh, I think, yeah, I think somebody told him they were casting his eyes out, and so he thought they were gone forever, and he went on a path of reformation. But at, at uh, when Jake and Finn run across him again, they don't want to tell him where his eyes are because they're afraid that he might uh, reclaim his, his wicked ways, and indeed he does. When he realizes where his eyes are, his 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 ham spanking nature overtakes him again. There's a strong theme throughout Adventure Time of of jerks. It is like you have yep you have Magic Man being actualized as a jerk. Uh, I remember Donnie, who is this giant from the first episode. 
uh, who's who's a jerk, which somehow keeps some minor civilization from falling apart because he is a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sort of the flip side of heroism. It's this it's this selfishness, this jerkdom. Well, at number five, I have Wildberry Princess. Um, because I, I feel bad for leaving her off my princess list from a while ago. I was going to include her um, because I enjoy her very much. Wildberry Princess is a berry. She's got little blobs of juice on her, much like a raspberry or a blackberry. And uh, over the course of the series, her Wildberry Kingdom apparently becomes a popular tourist destination, and she becomes an authoritarian dictator of some sort wow. who uh, believes in capital punishment. Seize and Jake and prepare them for execution! I think there's a, there's a lot going on there that I, I find fascinating. Plus, she has a medical condition where when she's frightened or upset, her little blobs of berry just fall off and she needs to go to a hospital. Nice defense mechanism, Wild Bee. Are you naked? Oh, no. This is a medical condition. Uh, at number four, I have uh, Cosmic Owl. Cosmic Owl. Which is uh, a friend of Prismo's. Prismo, who uh, is this interdimensional, two-dimensional, dream-enabling guy. Cosmic Owl. I'm not sure exactly what he does, but he arranges dreams or is aware of dreams. He has some godlike purpose in the universe to keep track of people's dreams. Um, but he also lives in space in a really crappy motel apartment where he's forced <laughs> to play board games by himself. He's so and, lonely uh, he gets tricked very easily, too. Didn't Lich trick him somehow as well? The uh, Orgalorg tricks him, I believe. Orgalorg tricked him, that's right. Right, by posing as some really foxy lady bird uh, with butt feathers. Butt feathers. And uh, that's enough to, <laughs> to to win him over. So I, I guess I, I like that he's uh, an all-seeing, supernatural, all-powerful being, but still lives in a crappy apartment and is easily fooled. So it's he's heroic and relatable. Who do you have at number four? Peppermint Butler. He but a helpful guy who puts the ooh in Illuminati. <laughs> now, is Peppermint Butler evil, spooky, benevolent, malevolent, ambiguous? What is he? Now, I do think he has some genuine interest in making sure things go well inside the kingdom, but I think he's also very interested in the occult. Excuse me, but did you all say Land of the Dead? Oh, what? Oh, uh, yeah. I can take you. I imagine he just has a lot of downtime. Uh-huh. And he's probably reading weird books and, right. you know, and just trying to see what'll work and, and, you know, he's trying to open up portals to stuff and he's just that, he's that guy. He's the conspiracy theory guy. You know, he reads, he reads so much stuff and now he's trying to be, you know, he's, he's falling into the H.P. Lovecraft uh, <laughs> sort of world of conjuring beings. But some of it is real, too, because Finn and Jake are only able to return from the dead world because uh, the the Lord of the Dead, I forget his exact name, is is friends with Peppermint Butler. And he said, oh, Peppermint Butler. You know Peppermint Butler? Yeah. 
<laughs> Yo, you guys can have whatever you want. There's a lot going on, and I'm down <laughs> for just about all of it, I'm sure. <laughs> so he's your number four. Who do you have at number mm-hmm. three? Number three, choose Goose. Look here, hon. Choose this one to protect your bun. <laughs> From a long line of cartoon characters that speak and rhyme for no reason, also that neck. Is it the rapper part of you that that likes Choose Goose? (laughs) This person who now there's there is that component. Yeah, there's that component. I I do like having a rhymer around because I'm a rhymer myself. But also, you know, I do enjoy the lineage of cartoon characters who rhyme for no reason. Like there was Roadblock from G.I. Joe who was just a big black character who for some reason they wanted to make him rhyme all the time um, I believe Jazz from the Transformers used to speak in rhyme or and then um, there was a character on Heathcliff um, the cartoon one of the one of the uh, bad cartoon cats buddies I think his name was Bebop or something weird like that but he used to <laughs> Speak and rhyme all the time too. I don't know. Wow. I, I'm just into that. And he, he, he reminds me of like Mr. Furley or something. Like he has uh-huh. like a uh, a Don Knotts quality to him. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like a little weird thing tied around his neck, and it's not helping his neck stay up. You know what I mean? It's just bopping around the place all the time. It's great. I don't know. Wait, did you become a rapper because you were influenced by GI Joe and the Transformer rhyming cartoon characters and Heathcliff? Possibly. I hadn't okay. thought about that either, John. But you know, if you want to give me something else to chew on all week, that's that's where I'll start. Some people it's Grandmaster Flash. Some people it's Run DMC. For you, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it's Roadblock. Yeah, it's Roadblock. <laughs> all right. At number three, I have Ancient Psychic Tandem War Elephant. Aha. Uh-huh. A uh, seemingly influenced by Bollywood, possibly a large ornate Indian with heads on both sides uh, who, who speaks in a very grand uh, mellifluous kind of way and gets forgot about and left in Finn and Jake's basement. Uh, stays there for at least a couple of years because that was the last instruction it had received uh, was to just hang out. And so it, it dutifully does that. Uh, later on, it's <laughs> It's set free, but doesn't really know how to do anything but obey what other people tell it to do. What do I do now? Dude, I don't know. Probably not go back in the basement. You're so biggins. You should be free, boy. Free to do what? I need psychic commands. Can you help me dice tomatoes for this guac? No. I like something as grand and powerful as... as a, I believe, a flying ancient psychic tandem war elephant uh, (laughs) being socially awkward out in the world when trying to figure out what to do. Um, Now, at number two, I um, so with with Cosmic Owl, I have some uh, later season adventure time. This is is an earlier character who still shows up once in a while. And number two, I have Manfred the Pinata. Mm. And this is a a pinata who lives in the, the Candy Kingdom. And uh, seemingly always is dangling from a rope in the in Princess <laughs> Bubblegum's palace, sometimes providing some sort of not very good security service. Uh, sometimes just worrying about if somebody's going to hit it with hit him with a stick. New game. We're gonna smash some pinatas. What? Except for you, Manfred. Oh, thank goodness. You know, voiced by Maria Bamford in in one of the the variants on the. Maria Bamford insecure cartoon character voice. 
And uh, yeah, it's I I'm I'm a fan I'm a fan of Manfred because Manfred is just making the best of the situation of being a piñata. Now, is Manfred made of candy himself? I think he's a piñata. I think he must be paper mache, right? Sentient paper mache. So, Princess Bubblegum's into that too, huh? Well, that's a good question. If everybody else in that kingdom is made of candy, I mean, you have root beer guy, who is a glass of root beer. That's true. Uh, which is, you know, sodas, maybe a cousin of candy, I suppose. But uh, but then it's the glass thing too. Like the glass is kind of sentient as right. well in that case. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's the. Maybe it's the paper mache shell that is sentient, or maybe all all the candy guts have been brought to life, and that's what's uh, <laughs> keeping Manfred alive. Have you done your number two yet? No, my number two is our friend Prismo. Did you guys see that? You know that was a ghost wearing a dead guy. That might be the nastiest thing I've ever seen. And then the nasty, nasty jazz. Two-dimensional, all-seeing time god, also an old man's dream. Also, Jake's hot tub buddy. Yes. So, you know, Prismo, the interdimensional time being observational God person thing. Um, you know, I, I enjoy Kumail Nanjani's. Uh, oh, so good. Delivery. Voice and yes. yeah, voice and delivery. And um, I enjoy how it's a two dimensional character. It's always flat against the wall and the floor. Um and it's just like he's a—he's just a, a good—he's a good guy. Like I understand why Cosmic Owl and Jake both want to hang out with him all the time. He just seems like a cool guy to hang out with. Dude, I get out of relationships because I don't want to have a discussion about what we're gonna have for dinner every night. Should I go into my number one now? Go to number one. My number one favorite C-list Adventure Time character is Tiffany. 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 <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Finn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, mulleted child with a five o'clock shadow threatens Finn in both monologues and schoolyard crudisms. Nice. Desperately wants to reform the old gang with Jake and is trying to murder Finn so that uh, he can make that wish a reality. Um, I just like the way he talks. Uh-huh. I, I love the voice. I love the delivery, and I love what's written for him every time. Almost everything that comes out of his mouth is funny to me. Almost everything. He's got this. He has this way of delivering poetic language of like when the dog the dog wakes <laughs> to find it. Uh. And and then he'll often just get lost in in the poetry and can't find a way to bring it around to to. <laughs> anything that makes sense. The dog wakes to find its mangy tail flopping in the dust like a fish in a tree. That fish is me! Tiffany! Alright, at number one, I have Shelby. Shelby! Shelby is a little worm who, for a lot of the time, maybe still, lives inside uh, the viola that Jake plays and uh, is... I, I guess it's another roommate in the the treehouse, although it's it's easy to forget that. And Shelby is just a kind of cool, easygoing worm uh, who's largely unflappable uh, about all the the madness that might go on around him. Uh, Shelby I, had his own episode. His most famous episode was uh, was when at a party, uh, his butt gets cut off and turns into another worm. 
who he just regards as his little brother <laughs> and <laughs> whom he names Kent. Yeah. And so Kent goes off on his own adventures and, uh, and you know, that, that all seems to work out okay. But even, even when deeply, uh, troubled and when crazy things are going on around him, Shelby just has a way of, of kind of being okay being cool. and, uh, being cool. Ah, this is all going to work out just fine. So those are our favorite C-listers. Those are the ones that Mike and I really like. Tell us what you like. We want to hear from you. Tell us who your favorite C-listers are. Go to infiniteguest.org, find Conversation Parade, and click on the link that says email us. And then email us. We're here with Jesse Moynihan. He's a storyboard artist for Adventure Time, and he was nominated for an Emmy for the episode Too Young. That's where the Earl of Lemongrab takes over the Candy Kingdom because Princess Bubblegum had become too young. He's boarded a ton of other episodes, including Is That You? All the Little People, You Made Me, Marceline's Closet, The Comet, You Forgot Your Floaties, and on and on. Jesse, welcome to Conversation Parade. Hi, thanks, man. You know, it's it's funny uh, reading that episode list. I only have like four episodes permanently saved on my TiVo. Yeah. And um, two of them are on this list here. Uh, All the Little People and You Forgot Your Floaties are two of my absolute oh, yeah. favorites. That's cool, man. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, did you create Magic Man? No, I didn't create Magic Man. Magic Man came about in season one. And I didn't come on the show until the end of... Around the end of season one, I came, okay. I came on as a storyboard revisionist. So I didn't have anything uh, to do with making up Magic Man. Interesting. So how did you work on the show as a revisionist? Uh, revisionists are sort of like uh, this position where after the borders are finished, their pass on the boards, uh, it, it gets handed off uh, to the storyboard supervisor and... Um, uh-huh. And any mistakes that the boarders make or uh, any, like, laziness uh, exhibited by the boarders <laughs> has to be corrected by the revisionists, basically. So if the boarders forgot to draw in a background or forgot to track something, like um, Magic Man's holding a, a, a wand in this uh, scene, but you forgot to draw it, and then the revisionist will draw it in, basically. I see. So now that you're a storyboard artist yourself, do you uh, look out for your own laziness? Yeah, I. <laughs> there are times where where I think to myself that the revisionist will handle it. We'll take care of this <laughs> because I'm like a week behind on a on a board, and I'm like, I, this just needs to get done. So I know that uh, Julia or Polly will will help me out. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. Well, when you became a storyboard artist, what, what drew you to Magic Man? I've read that that's one of your uh, favorite characters, one of my favorite characters as well. Uh, yeah, I you know, I think because Magic Man is so uh, enigmatic and uh, funny at, at the same time, so he's this mis- mysterious character. Also, he's just a, a, a very fertile ground for doing really off-the-wall funny stuff. He's actually really... When I actually got the opportunity to write for Magic Man, it was uh, really hard to capture his uh, his tone, uh, hmm. I found. And then I got saddled with Magic Man, and then every time it's a really difficult challenge. <laughs> but I still, uh, I, still, I still like his character a lot. 
I had uh, I had read where you had originally planned not to reveal much of his origin. Was that mm-hmm. uh, did that have something to do with finding him challenging? Uh, you know, it's more like, uh, I think that, you know, when you create a character, uh, it's the same with Lemon Grab, because, um, I had a part in creating Lemon Grab, you get that initial nugget or that initial inspiration, and you don't know that it's going to, uh, turn into a regular thing, so you don't ever have to think about capturing it again, so you, you just have this, and I think that's probably the same thing that happened with the people that worked on the first Magic Man episode is that you just capture something, and then when you try to bring that character back, to recapture it is, is a little uh, elusive. It, it can be, it can be right. difficult. So I found that same problem with uh, writing sequels to uh, Lemon Grab episodes. I, I maybe, maybe people also had that same problem with uh, the guys on The Simpsons with uh, Sideshow Bob. Right. <laughs> you know, you like do that first episode and, and people uh, really respond to it. And then how do you do it again? It's, it's hard right. you, without, without repeating yourself, without giving, by giving them something fresh each time. It's, it's, it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, but I, I like that. I like that challenge. Right. So basically you, you have a character and you have a premise of uh, what that character is and you have to kind of find new ways to add depth to the character. I guess every time you revisit it. Yeah, and you also have to make them funny in a way that they weren't funny the first time. Huh. Uh, and you can come up with uh, cool scenarios for them to play out uh, in your head, but then when you actually when you actually write it, it, it they still have to be that character, and they have to, uh, you know, it's I don't it's it's hard. It's different from writing uh, fan fiction or something. They you still right. have to you have to nail these characters. And they can't do exactly what you want all the time. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of another question I was going to ask you. We talked to uh, Steve Wolfhard, and um, yeah. he says that he he's not a huge fan of Finn uh, as yeah. as a hero, and and he 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 chooses to plot uh, Finn in kind of a, a dumb manner. He has Finn tripping over things and, and falling, and and. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you guys, as storyboard artists, you get the license to kind of uh, see the characters different ways. I want to know, like, how did you see? How do you see Finn? I see Finn as a very complex uh, kid. That I mean, because I think all kids are complex, so they can. You can be all sorts of things. You know, you can be dumb, and definitely Finn has a dumbness to him. <laughs> Uh, but you can also be insightful and in the moment very empathetic towards other people. And I think Finn contains a lot of uh, qualities that can come out in different situations, you know. So I think Finn has all the aspects of, of being a really true hero, like a, um, you know, like a hero archetype, uh, but also he has uh, the things that make him a dumb teenager, uh, who's right. uh, learning about learning about being a being a dumb teenager and the, you know, <laughs> right. that kind of thing? For that reason, I really actually uh, have enjoyed tracking Finn over the past whatever how many years I've been working on the show because uh, you can do so much. He's very uh, flexible. You can do a lot with him. Uh, you can insert uh, a bunch of you know silly jokes. Uh, into his lines, he can say he can pretty much say anything. I think most of the wordplay 
uh, on the show comes out of Finn, you know? Right. Schmaltown, dude! That guy's gonna dingle our bones into tapioca pudding! So, for, for that reason, it, it's almost like this improvisational dialogue that you can have coming out of Finn. He's like the flexible material that holds the show together, in, in some ways, at least. So, yeah, I love Finn. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I love him too, and it and it is, it's nice that at once you could have him uh, tripping over a rock or or making little versions of, of all the characters do creepy things, and then in another episode he can save the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's the thing. Like in one moment, Finn can be awkward, and and yeah, there's a scene where he is trying to do uh, parkour on rocks and stuff, and he can't do it. Stunts. <laughs> <laughs> And another scene where he can, you know, uh, impale a demon on a sword and throw it into a pit, you know? So, <laughs> right. yeah, he can do a lot and not do a lot at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> like all teenagers. But, um, yeah, sure. How do you guys manage to keep kind of a consistent tone uh, telling mm-hmm. different stories if the artists are kind of allowed to take different licenses and see the characters different ways? Yeah, I used to, uh, I used to when the show was first developing... Um, past its initial seed or whatever, I used to think about that a lot because the boarders do get a lot of freedom. And there'd be times um, when I didn't agree with everything that was uh, the other boarders were doing. And, you know, we'd have these, sometimes have pretty spirited debates about stuff. And um, a lot of times each boarding team can largely sort of get what they want. And you the the conclusion I came to about that is that uh, the show is it's it's a it's like a stew uh, with lots of different flavors you know and the the thing right. that makes it uh, come together I guess it is it all comes together in this broth and sort of just I don't know it just ends up creating a larger picture than one person can create so it's the product of a lot of different opinions. And uh, that, um, even though the, the the sensibilities or the writing styles of the different writers and boarders might conflict with each other sometimes, that's what creates the, the spectrum of the show, that uh, I think if one person was just controlling it, uh, it, it wouldn't, I don't know, it wouldn't have that special flavor. I don't <laughs> so I, I always had to sort of let go of my ego about stuff and like you know if i felt right. attached to a character and then another border took it and took the character in another direction i had to accept that i had to be right. like that's how the show works uh, it's not one person no one owns anything on the show it's it's a <laughs> sort of free-for-all <laughs> that creates a, an overall picture that people see as this like umbrella of adventure time you know can you uh give us an example of maybe something that you didn't necessarily agree with that ended up mm-hmm. happening with a character or storyline. Uh, yeah, I I wouldn't say like disagree with, but it it wasn't a direction I probably would have taken the character, which is uh, with Lemon Grab. So ah. after um, I worked on the first Lemon Grab, and then you made me, and then after that, Steve Tom and Steve took Lemon Grab into this really horrific (laughs) (laughs) and that definitely was there in him i could see when when they were they basically took over lemongrab for several episodes and they took him on this arc with his brother and uh you know 
uh, this like uh, dictator arc where where he's right. uh, eating his brother and stuff, and it, it turns into a basic like a horror movie. <laughs> and right. he that aspect of his personality was definitely there in the beginning, you know. But they ramped it up this one aspect of him to a really high level, you know. And it, right. I think. Uh, I really enjoyed watching those episodes, and I was always shocked <laughs> by what they came up with. <laughs> uh, but it, I think if I had been working on it, uh, you know, I think my tone for Lemon Grab is slightly different than Steve's, especially, because uh, Steve really, I think, enjoys the, the horror. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's only, I was going to ask you that, too. Uh, when I did talk to Steve, um, mm-hmm. the tone that I was getting from me when we were talking about the storylines and things that he's been involved in, it seems like if, if you guys are talking about flavors, Steve's yeah. flavor was kind of dark. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. What would you call your flavor? Uh, I think my flavor is is sort of uh, introspective, maybe. Hmm. Um, I try to uh, I try to channel a lot. If I'm thinking about something, uh, if there's some issue that I'm I'm I, I'm laboring over, or uh, or if there's been some a lot of a lot of the stories, if I'm coming up with them, come out of some kind of autobiographical experience. And uh, then I try to turn that into a thing that would work in a fantasy, in the fantasy post-apocalypse, you know? I see. Uh, because for me, it's like you come out of, uh, you know, several seasons of, of working on the show and trying to come up with stories. The only place that you can go that feels maybe unique or original is something that you can pull from from either things that you uh, care about personally or things that you've experienced that you think maybe other people could possibly relate to. <laughs> I don't know. But sometimes that it doesn't that doesn't even matter because you're just trying to pump out original right. material every week. You're just you just what what haven't I seen on TV, you know? What haven't right. I seen in a cartoon? And uh, for me that originality comes from personal ex- experience so everything as the seasons went on uh i think my stories got more more personal mm. and more more introspective uh yeah i don't know whether you know some people appreciate it i you know i can't <laughs> 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 who knows i don't know <laughs> oh uh my hope is i always thought that you know those, those are my best episodes uh, as far as the my my later output but i you know uh you get caught up in, in self-doubt and stuff, I think, as a creative person. So I, before I start, like, assassinating myself, I'll just, I'll just stop. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I hear that, though. Yeah. We, and me and um, my co-host, John Mo, we've talked about uh, the episode, You Forgot Your Floaties. And yeah. what I told him is that I like I likened what you guys talked about in terms of uh, the wizards on the show and the magic, madness, and sadness. I, um, yeah, yeah. I liken that to creatives like I make music and, and John, uh, he writes comedy. And I felt like in our worlds, there's we draw on, we draw upon some of those same things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the magic, madness and sadness was a thing that came up uh, while we were brainstorming. Uh, I remember it was uh, I know that I was bouncing off pen on that one. And like, I think we both came to this conclusion about wizards and, and drawing a parallel to, you know, artistic life, basically, right. to 
to how did, how much artists uh, beat themselves up and how much we can draw from uh, personal demons and and depression and 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 how much of that is actually informing your creative output, which a lot of times, unfortunately, is is a uh, is a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think that's something that anyone who takes uh, creative uh, work seriously has to grapple with. I right. think I don't, I don't know anyone that's uh, an artist that isn't doesn't have some element of, of melancholy or something informing their informing their work. Yeah, I agree, <laughs> and it, and it spoke to me directly as soon as I heard it. I was like, "Yep, <laughs> I am a wizard." <laughs> Someone shines a light into my dark wizard matter. A way to unclose the circuit of magic, madness, and sadness. You said that you like to draw upon direct experience. Like, is there something that's happened, you know, in in the show that's been like an analog of a direct experience of something that's happened to you that you would that you could tell us about? Uh, yeah, I think um, actually um, the character of of Magic Man and. Uh, and his uh, his old girlfriend Margols is a uh-huh. is a direct is like a direct pull from from my life and uh, oh wow <laughs> yeah so you know I don't I don't want to tie those things too closely but it definitely was for sure because you know Magic Man and Margols that's their own story you know but the story has to come from somewhere so I I I was inspired by a thing you know a, like a traumatic thing that happened to me. Uh, <laughs> With an ex-girlfriend, and and so I I I totally pulled from that. And when I've written, when I write for Magic Man and that story, I I sort of meditate on on that experience, and I pull from mm. like what what from that experience can I transfer into Magic Man to imbue him with uh, a grounded reality, uh, uh, you know, because the story is so yeah. fantastical and and psychedelic. Uh, that I felt like I needed to give it real, like a real gut punch, you know? Right. right. Uh, so the only way I could do that, I thought, was by um, by pulling something directly from my experience that I could really empathize with and, like, feel uh, deeply about. So, uh, yeah, so that, 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 that whole scenario just uh, comes, is, is, is a... Uh, yeah, an analog for something that happened to me a bunch of years ago that I, that it's like a continue, whatever, a, a trauma that I, I, I ruminate about sometimes. <laughs> and you don't want to like, I don't know, I, you want to respect the character and, and, and let him be his own thing. I, I think there's a line between, uh, using personal experience to inform a character, but also, um, respecting the character and not superimposing my life onto Magic Man's life, you know? Right. So Magic, Magic Man is Magic Man. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but but also, I don't know, I think it's a writer's technique to, you know, write what you know, you know, so... Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you know uh, Magic Madness and Sadness. <laughs> yeah, I definitely know Magic Madness and Sadness for sure, man. <laughs> Can you, uh, in a, in a kind of general sense, kind of walk us through what it what it's like for you and your partner to board an episode? Yeah, well, what happens is you get a uh, you get an outline from the writers. Either you get an outline from the writers, or if you have an idea, you can you can pitch it to the writers' room and sort of collaborate 
on a premise. And then what, what comes out of that is um, a three-page outline. And then uh, you guys all get together in a room, all the writers and boarders get together in a room, and uh, sort of talk out if we have problems with the outline or something, uh, or if something's not tracking, or, or if it feels like, oh, this is going to be a problem boarding this scene. Uh, it's too busy. It's going to, you know, it's going to go on too long, blah, blah, blah. You know, cut it down. And then once you come to an agreement about all that stuff, then the two boarders will divide the um, episode in ways that uh, there's no set way of doing it. You could divide it in half or you could just be like, I like these parts. I want to do th- these parts if you don't mind. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> and then it sort of, sort of becomes this negotiation, a polite negotiation usually about like what parts you want to do. And then you just uh, sit in an office and start writing it. Uh, in my case, a lot of times I'll go out. I found that now I've become so sensitive to my writing environment that I have to, <laughs> I have to write outside or uh, where there's good light. Yeah. Basically. Uh, I can't write in an office anymore. <laughs> I understand. You know, I'm I'm much the same way. Like I can write um, songs at home, but sometimes it's better for me to like go sit in a coffee shop and write. Like I need different, yeah. maybe not yeah, light I'm, in my case, but more like just a different kind of energy. Yeah, I have to feel strange, strange energy around me or something. <laughs> so it's like stranger energy. I don't know what it is, but that's what yeah. my my brain seems to need. So I I ride my bike around to all the different coffee shops until I. Until I get the right energy coming off the coffee <laughs> shop, and then I'll go in there and I'll work. <laughs> That's been nice. my process for the past like uh, like three years now. Have you discovered, or are there presented to you any other any like rules in how you're writing, or something you have to adhere to? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest rule is uh, I think that I learned early on is uh, to track the motivations. So mm. everything needs a through line. You need to understand what the character wants. Uh, and, and I think the audience needs to understand what the character wants throughout the episode. And I think you have to build your jokes around that. You can't, even though adventure time seems crazy and there's no rules, there actually are these, I don't know, there's no rules up on the wall, you know, but you sort of learn over time uh, just by what gets cut out after you pitch it, you know, early on when I first came on the show and I was like, this show is psychedelic. I can do whatever I want. And the point of the show is crazy jokes, you know, that's what I thought at first. And so that idea got squashed pretty fast because you go in the room and you pitch it and you pitch these crazy tangents and all that stuff just gets cut. And you spent, you know, three days working on this insane set piece joke, and then you just watch it get killed. <laughs> right. And then you realize that 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 stuff is fat, and then you only have eleven minutes to tell this story. Right. And so uh, everything, I think the way the strategy of your stuff not getting cut uh, become, becomes part of the writing for the show. So you you learn how to tie in everything to the motivations. Uh, so all the jokes with the exception of little things here and there, like um, the way I learned how to write for the show is that all the jokes have to be tied into the emotional needs of the characters. 
so they become less like jokes and more like um, funny sort of dialogue that is telling of who these characters are. I think that becomes more important than than straight up psychedelic scenarios, you know. So stuff that gives you a deeper understanding of of what's happening in the episode or what's happening in the psychology of the characters. That way, when you're pitching it, it seems essential. (laughs) Right. And then your stuff doesn't get cut. (laughs) (laughs) You make a good point that it, you know, on a surface level, it might seem like it's kind of an anything goes environment, but especially like rewatching all of the episodes as we have to do this show, like you do become aware Mm -hmm. of like a very strong internal logic you know, of all the characters. And and it does, yeah. like, it's based on what they're all motivated by. Are there any big ideas uh, that you've been ruminating on that you've wanted to work into the show and haven't had a chance to yet? Yeah, I think the biggest one that I've tried to work into this show and have not found a way to do it is um, is explaining the sort of cosmology, the uh, the, the, the dead world stuff. And and how that works with uh, ideas of reincarnation as well. Okay. Because you know Finn's been reincarnated a bunch of times, and and other characters as well. And then how does that work with uh, the like fifty second dead world stuff? You know, and uh, we had an episode a while ago where um, I I wrote an outline that got canned that had them traveling through all the different dead worlds and you'd like find out what, why there are different dead worlds and all that stuff. And yeah, just cause I was just, I was just about to ask you right now, like what, what is different dead worlds? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch. There's at least 52 different dead worlds. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, you know, we've only hinted at it and what that means. And, uh, you know, maybe someday we'll explain it, but maybe we'll never explain it. Well, you know, just uh, just uh, just just for uh, just for my own curiosity's sake, because I would love to hear you describe it. Like, yeah. what what exactly is a dead world? Uh, it's a place uh, where you go when your physical meat body uh, expires. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds you like fan. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, we don't have it worked out. Like, I, okay. you know, we had. I talked to Pat McHale about it because Pat McHale was really excited about it and he had his own ideas about the dead world. So this is uh, years ago. This is like season two. We were talking about this because I think the second episode I worked on was um, uh, Death in Bloom where they go to the land of the dead. Okay. And um, that's when that conversation got started about the different dead worlds. And I think, uh, Pat had some ideas about it, and I had some ideas about it based based around some things I was reading about the Kabbalah and mm. stuff like that. And so, you know, uh, that stuff got worked out even more a little bit when we did the Ghost Princess episode, and she gets right. sucked up in this 50-second dead world with her, her boyfriend. And um, so, you know, I tried writing uh, a premise about about 50 Second Dead World, about going there and, and what that was like. And uh, it just didn't, it was too, I think it was too big, and it was tied in with Magic Man and, and the Cosmic Owl and all that stuff. <laughs> and we ended up uh, uh, so parsing out some of those ideas into other episodes, but they but we totally avoided explaining the Dead Worlds. 
thing. So I don't, you know, someone someday will give it another shot. We'll, right. you know, we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> or maybe not. That's the thing about Adventure Time is like, some things just won't ever get explained. I, you know, right. <laughs> the world is, is too big. Uh, so there has to be this like ambiance, you know, right. uh, some, some things you just hear vaguely hear about and, and you'll never know what the real deal is. Interesting. Uh, we're going to conclude here in a moment, but I was perusing yeah. your website and you, and it's, I really, really, um, enjoy the, uh, the different insight you've given, especially to the, um, to like the episode that you worked on and writing the blurbs and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really engaging stuff. I read on there that, uh, there's an abandoned TV movie. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah, there were, yeah, we worked on it uh, at the end, of, at the, in the middle of season five, when season uh -huh. five got double, was double length. Okay. So in the middle of season season five, we uh, someone was like, "We're going to make a movie, <laughs> a TV movie." I guess it was Penn, and uh, so we worked on that uh, for a long time. Oh, and well, I, hear, uh, I, hear, I hear I hear the tone you're speaking about it with. It. <laughs> well, it was it was crazy. I you know it was fun and. Uh, but the thing never, it never gelled. And there were really mm. good ideas in there. And I remember we pitched it, uh, all the boarders, I think all the boarders were involved pretty much at the time, whoever was working on the show. And we all got our sections and the thing didn't have an ending. And I remember we, we sat around and we talked about what the movie was going to be about and you know, and then Penn was trying to tighten it up and, and make it make sense and tie all the sections together. And we got to the point where we had basically had the whole thing, uh, except for the thir the final act was a little bit murky. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we, we, we pitched it out. I remember uh, we, uh, you know, every, all the boarders did their sections and we all, we all watched, and the thing was just uh, a mess. <laughs> it didn't it didn't make sense at all. And uh, but Penn kept believing it, and he was like, "No, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna tie this thing together." And he was gonna, uh, I don't know, to put his magic on it, basically, and make it make sense. And um, it just kept getting delayed and it never got finished and um it never quite found i don't know what it needed for the thing to really gel and um so what ended up happening was uh we abandoned the project largely uh and kept working on the the second half of the season okay and then when it got to the point where we were like, oh, we're really not, this thing is really not going to happen. Because <laughs> we kept thinking that maybe it would get saved or something, and then, right. then just come out maybe after season five or something. And once it became apparent that the thing was just dead, uh, we started we started mining parts of it for episodes. Okay, there, nice. were there was There was really good stuff in it. And uh, so that stuff, what... 
the the TV movie became was um, parts parts of um, some, the episode something big with a ancient tandem ancient psychic tandem war elephant. Awesome. Uh, and um, the Orgelorg Orgelorg was the villain of the movie. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Awesome. And. Um, and then just little things here and there, like little. Oh, I think the road trip, um, the the thanks for the crab apples, Giuseppe. Uh, sort of, it was was an analog, you could say, for uh, a big scene that happened in in the movie. That it wasn't the wizards, though. It was tree trunks. Um, okay. Was on a road trip with Jake, trying to find Finn, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and uh and there're just things here and there oh 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 um uh what's that episode with the cosmic owl uh goes on a date with uh Gunther oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah. A, i've, I've got the name bird. of that one right so there's a scene in there where he's cooking something on his pot uh and the pot you look at it it's like the universe <laughs> oh. That pot as the universe was like a major theme of the movie. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So just little bits and pieces, little ideas that were in that movie have been sprinkled throughout um, season five and six. And I don't know if I, I think we used all of it up by season seven. Uh, although there is a huge chunk that. Um, that was in the movie that Tom Herbig uh, boarded that uh, hasn't been, hasn't been used. And I've, I've tried to come in a couple times been like, yeah, you should take that stuff and turn it in, into a, a, you know, a standalone episode. Right. And I think he's considered it, but um, I don't know if he'll ever do it or not. It sounds like uh, the movie is the dead world. I think that's, that's the explanation right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a bunch of different parts that weren't gelling together, so <laughs> Well, I can dig it. Well, um, thanks for giving us that insight and all of these insights. This has been really great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jesse Moynihan. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for talking to me. Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast, is a production of the Infinite Guest Network and American Public Media. It's hosted by John Moe and me, Mike Eagle. The Adventure Time end credit song you've heard on this podcast was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. Larissa Anderson produces Conversation Parade. Peter Clowney, Steve Nelson, Stu Newman, all lend support. What do you guys think we should talk about on this podcast? Who should we talk to? What topics should we explore? Let us know. You can tweet at us. I'm at Mike underscore Eagle, and he's at John Moe, J-O-H-N-M-O-E. Or you can send an email to infiniteguest at americanpublicmedia.org.